The Youthscape Podcast. Okay, well, everybody, welcome to the Youthscape Podcast. And it is so cold in here. I just feel I need to say that because I'm sat here like a little old granny and I'm doing that thing where I've got my coat over my shoulders but my arms are not through the sleeves. You are. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't seeing it as old granny. It is old it, granny. Actually, I, I thought she'd pulled it off with some style. That's kind of shit. I, I thought that was um, but I, stylish I thing. Feel, I don't feel very well. <laughs> and I'm slightly doing that thing that I always say that men do, which is a terrible stereotype. Where I'm like, men kind of go, I've got bad flu. Martin, do join in at any point. This is the Youthscape <laughs> podcast. My name is Martin Saunders, and you've just been hearing the rambling voice of Rachel Gardner. Well, I'm not very well, so oh. that's, that kind of lets me off the hook. No. How are you, Martin? Have well, you been well? Interesting question. Yeah. Interesting that you should ask me that, because no, I have not been well. No. I've been sick as a dog. The early Feb lurgies. I have been so ill. Yeah. So uh, I got it just after sort of back to school, and then yeah. it went around all my family, except my wife, who is a sort of superior strain of human and just managed to... She's actually a teacher. She's a teacher. And we yeah. decided, didn't we, that teachers, like, pause, shut down. Yeah. They lock down. They're like, no way. I'm not having that. I'm not getting this. I'm not getting sick. Teachers would be ill the whole time, wouldn't they? Yeah. So their immune systems have to be stronger. So, uh, so no, I was I was ill to the point of, like... Oh, like a, as ill as I can remember being. Questioning whether it was, it was you know... Actually spiritual attack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As far as we were getting. And whether it was worth living any longer. Oh, and, no, I and hate I, that. Because you know what happened that. was, I got trapped in Luton. Oh, which wait Which feels a like the, the I, title I feel of like an Agatha Christie novel. I feel like I need to kind of preempt this, because we do sometimes have Martin Saunders nudity stories. No, I, I don't feel nudity in this story. that this is not going to be a nudity one, but it's going to be slightly worse. Because yeah. it's going to be a you throwing up story, isn't it? Yeah, well. So here we go. So, uh, so I was staying the night at my uh, boss colleague and sometime associate Chris Curtis's house here in Luton. Always it involves Chris. And, uh, and I, you know how bad it is to be ill in someone else's house. Mm. And, and so I was just, uh, I just had that middle of the night thing. I was like, uh oh, this is going to be bad. And it was bad. And it was bad all night. And I, as the hymn says, I emptied myself of all but love. <laughs> and to the point that, that I, was, I was literally just, you know that last time, the last time you're sick, where you're just shouting into the toilet there's nothing coming you're just you're just roaring a deep guttural primal roar into the porcelain thanks for that it was horrendous and then i was just in this dark room for like 24 hours just just sweating in in chris's bed that was that was my that was my monday it's horrible being ill so youth workers do we develop the same kind of immune system as our teacher colleagues or is it a bit different for us as youth workers I don't it know do different. we get lurgies because we hang around young people that have lurgies well children small children, children. get more <laughs> ill don't they, they do. and there's more of them and yes. you see them for 30 hours a week yes. or something so dear listener we really hope that you are well it's like the sun is beginning to shine like snowdrops are growing and we really hope that the lurgies the flu of the past in the past but we hope you're okay and did you turn that into a benediction <laughs> <laughs> the snowdrops. My <laughs> snowdrops got to do with it. <laughs> my hands are also slightly cupping the microphone right now. I am reaching out to you, dear sick listener, and hoping that you're well. In Jesus' oh, name, wow. Amen. Now, between us, for this whole <laughs> conversation, has been our guest. Who are you feeling slightly sick? sick? I'm actually really well. Are yeah, you? You're making me feel. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Hello. Like Aww. a like a snowdrop between two thorns. <laughs> 
So, so Phoebe that. Hill, the yes. uh, long-time director of the Youthscape Centre for Research. That's right, that's me. And uh, full-time PhD student. Full-time PhD student. And can I say former editor of what was Youthwork magazine? Mm. Yes. As well, in a former... Indeed. In a former life. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. How are you this morning? I am very well. I'm sorry to hear that you guys aren't well, but I am very well. We just like to moan into the microphone because we still don't think anyone listens to this. So we just Aww. like to kind of <laughs> get it off a little counselling counselling session. Yeah. yeah. But you're so welcome, Phoebe. Is it your first time being up here on the podcast? It is. Up yes. in the tower. Up in the tower, you to get towers first time. Yeah. So you are normally like squirreled away somewhere doing your PhD. Yeah. What's your, what is your PhD? What are you studying? So my PhD is um, looking at how youth work is transformational, if it is. So particularly Christian youth work, so developing a theory and also a theology of transformation and working out how and why young people are changed through engagement with Christian youth work, if they are. And Youthscape is my case study, so I'm here for more than... Sorry, I was formulating a question, but I was, I was <laughs> waiting. You've worked, with, you've worked with me for so many years now. You've just I'm become so used tuned. to just shutting down. Yeah, I know. As soon as you move, a glance from Martin. You're like, oh, I'm, he's not listening I'm anymore. I'm stopped in my tracks now. Sorry. Sorry, what was your question? I don't know what my question was. I was coming, but oh, so now you're going to have to carry on. But you do, you do, if anyone comes to Youthscape and they see you here, you do have a little book and you write with the smallest writing. <laughs> and what do you do? You're capturing conversations, you're capturing yeah. our thinking, our thoughts around the transformation. What? That's it. So I'm, I'm basically observing everything that Youthscape is and does and the people at Youthscape and how we make sense of what we're doing, what we do, why we do it, how often we do it, that kind of thing. I'm particularly interested in the face-to-face youth work, so I observe at the drop-in. That's my main kind of bulk of what I'm doing. But also how we as staff go about our jobs, what it means for us that we work for a Christian organisation, how we make sense of um, how young people are changed through what we're doing. I remember years ago, actually, when we were Mance Academy and having a big debate with somebody about what makes a charity a Christian charity and just sometimes I mean it's going to sound really crass and stupid but almost the sense in which you almost act as if well we have um, Christian approach to finding and we have Christian mm. chairs and we have Christian computers and um, what actually is the distinctiveness of being Christian so I think mm. it's fascinating that you're sort of looking for the threads that are running through that what is the distinctiveness mm. what does transformation look mm. like if you believe in Christ who makes all things new. Mm. Yeah, because it is challenging to define what makes us different, because in so many ways, a lot of our work yeah, is, the same. is yeah. you know, and needs to be the same as it would be if we weren't Christians. But then, as Christians, we do believe that everything is sort of fundamentally different as yes. well. So yes. it's that's the kind of theological question around, you know, what is it that makes the difference? Brilliant. When you're doing a PhD, mm-hmm. do you start thinking, I'm pretty much sure of where this is going and I'm seeking to prove something or do you start do you start it thinking oh I wonder what I'll find out yeah I guess it's a kind of mixture of both so I think I started because of the nature of the sort of research that I'm doing with a genuine openness to allow the environment to speak to me and allow um, youthscape to kind of show me what it is that it's doing but as you go along you start to then zoom in on certain things and then it becomes a case of okay if this is the main theme then I want to look for more examples of this and more specific examples of this. So it kind of it's sort of a back and forth between mm. the two. So you go in with an openness, but then 
once you've got a sort of framework, you're then trying to work within that mm. and, and seek to kind of strengthen what you found. And you do carry around literally this little. You haven't got it with you I at the moment. Well, no, I, I can't. I can't speak and be but writing. You carry around. She carries around this little. <laughs> this little. I'm talking to you now, gentle listener. The um. The, the, the throwing up in the background. The, the, the little. This little blue book. In which, into which you write with the most minute handwriting. It's like, I mean, it's like the, they could crack the Enigma code, but, but they can't, they <laughs> they can't, can't read my They writing. can't read that, no. right? And so this thing, it's the tiniest little handwriting, but you write down anything interesting that happens as you're yeah. here observing at Youthscape. And I find myself quite competitive in meetings <laughs> if I'm speaking and I see that I'm speaking and you haven't written anything down for a while. Oh. I start reaching for something profound in the hope that you might make a note of it. <laughs> And then I make some terrible error and I see you scribbling. (laughs) Generally, yeah. Um, But I mean, it's it's helpful that it's not particularly clear handwriting because in some ways it's, if, if everyone could just pick up my book and read everything that I'd written that would be a bit of a confidentiality mm, nightmare absolutely. in some ways so it kind of helps that it's scrawly and only I can see <laughs> what I've actually written because also a lot of it is irrelevant and a lot of it I'm just making note of what's happening yeah. and someone would read it and be like well why have you written down that you sat down at this on this chair in this room but yeah. actually over time that builds up a picture and you start to see patterns Um, and what you think is irrelevant then actually could be quite relevant Mm. later on so you kind of begin by just making note of everything Mm. and then Mm. as I said sort of refine as you go so what what do you say is the link between sort of reflective practices and research because I I was just thinking oh actually you're I, when I think research, I think mm. about asking questions and getting answers and ticking boxes. Whereas a lot of what you're doing is actually just reflecting, isn't it? Standing back mm. and looking. And I would never do it on the level you are because I'm not doing a PhD. But I think in youth ministry, I think some of my richest times have been when I've stood back and just reflected. I mean, what, is, what are you learning about reflection and reflective practices? Well, that's such a good question. And it's really interesting because there is there's kind of... Um, this middle ground between social science and theology and there's kind of practical theology somewhere in the middle and theological reflection and you know Andrew Root and others say that actually youth ministers should be we are all theologians all the time and what we're doing is practical theology as we think about what we're doing as we reflect on our work with young people Um, so there is this kind of um, interesting interplay between the social sciences and theology and I'm somewhere in the middle and in between that space of actually Yes, I'm looking for kind of concrete facts, but I'm also trying to keep that reflective perspective, actually, mm. of what's going on in a bigger God picture, you know. And mm. that, that is a challenge, you know. Am I a social scientist looking for the objective facts, or am I a theologian looking mm. and asking the big questions mm. beyond the facts? And it, I haven't quite yet nailed down exactly where I am on that mm. spectrum, but that's part of the reflective process, mm. I think, as well, figuring out what is it I'm actually looking for, because... Mm. God can work within the objective facts, but he can he is also transcendent and beyond them. So and he is always the unpredictable down. divine element, isn't well, he? Well yeah, exactly. And you can't you know, and again Andrew Root and others in his most recent book talks about um, you know, we've relied too much on the social sciences actually. And that's a challenge for me as a researcher because you think, well, we've tried to pin down faith formation and we've tried to pin down, <laughs> you know, why it is that young people stay in church. But actually, by doing that, we've removed the role of God. We've actually said, well, faith is just something we can develop. And actually, we need to recognise that God is the author of faith. So, and we can't account for him in social science. So how do we navigate that as theologians? Mm. You know, it's a, these are all like big, challenging questions. I mean, this podcast is like a roller coaster. Honestly, we're going <laughs> deep theology and then my vomit stories. And it's like somebody's got a radio that keeps flicking between, like, Radio 4 and Talk Sport. 
and but, can't control but it. But I think we embody what Phoebe's talking about, which is like social sciences and theology, and she's trying to work out where she's in. I yeah. think we like to just offer that, don't we? You and I. Lovely yeah. listeners. We just ways. offer either end. And then I've, often, expert, I've often thought that. Um, yeah. So, the reason why we have you here today, yeah. uh, Phoebe, is um, that you uh, are launching your second major piece of research for the mm. Institute Centre for Research. So last year, or the end of the year before, uh, you um, you launched Losing Heart, which mm-hmm. I think it would be fair to say has been uh, one of the most significant and influential pieces of research in youth ministry in the last decade, without without a doubt. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it has had a massive impact in the UK, but I hear people quoting it in the US as well. And in Europe, actually, across Europe. And yeah. in parts of Africa. And uh, I don't know if that's true, I just threw that in. But, um, but, but you know, it, it has been brilliant. And well done to you for creating something um, which was yeah. watertight and which people could get behind and say, actually, yeah, we, this, this resonates and we can see how you got here and, you know, this is, a, this is good research. Um, so uh, so you, it's the difficult second album now for you. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're coming back with something new now. So, so what is the new piece of research that is being launched this very day? Well... Helpfully, this is a very different piece of research to Losing Heart. So Losing Heart was a big quantitative study of UK churches. We had 2,054 churches answering our survey for that. This piece of research is a qualitative project, so it was interview-based, and it was with just 16 young people. So with this, we were going for depth as opposed to breadth. Um, And our big question was, what questions do young people have about God, faith, or religion? Um, Because it's been a tactic in kind of... um, at evangelical events and in projects in schools and that kind of thing to begin with the big questions the kind of apologetic style questions with young people but we had a sense and a hunch here at Youthscape that young people perhaps were not asking those questions or they may be asking different questions and so we wanted to go into some schools in Luton find just 16 young people and have an in-depth conversation with them about what their questions were and if they don't have questions, why that might be. Mm. So start to think about the question behind that question, which is, okay, why are these young people not questioning? And also the, the wider sort of conversation around what is important to these young people? Where does God, faith or religion feature in their lives, if it does at all? Mm. Um, so that was our kind of starting point mm. for mm. this project. And so the title of the project rather belies the findings of the project, mm-hmm. right? So, so there's no twist, surprise ending, but um, uh, it's called No Questions Asked. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, so what happened uh, when you actually interviewed these 16 young people? And you say in depth, it was kind of hour long? They were an hour long, yeah. Interviews. Exactly. Well, so we, we found out lots of interesting things, um, but in general, our overall finding was that it was really difficult to get questions from these young people about God, faith, religion that didn't mean that they we could they couldn't talk about these things or they weren't interested when we were sat there with them to talk about these questions but ultimately in the grand scheme of their lives these questions weren't particularly significant so you weren't hearing curiosity we weren't here exactly yeah. we weren't hearing curiosity and i guess our assumption from the outset was that questioning can lead to, or can be a product of a seeker type engagement um and we didn't find that kind of seeker type engagement with mm. God, faith or religion. Which is, which is a big piece of news, it's a big headline and, and although we're talking about a, a specific group of young people uh, in a specific place, yeah. to some extent that can be applied and, uh, you know, what's the There'll word? There'll be versions of this all around the country, won't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you can read quite a lot into that, so we'll, we'll get onto that in a second about sort of 
how indicative mm -hmm. that group of 16 could be. Um, but the, f the first challenge there is, um, I mean, the way I came to faith, I mean, that we talked about before, is mm -hmm. there was a, um, a, a very poorly produced A4 sheet that was probably made in Word 90 uh, that, was, uh, that was stuck on my classroom door uh, every week, which is where the Christian Union met. And every week, the title of Christian Union would be something like, If God, Who Made God? Or uh, um, God good, bad, mad, or, you know, Jesus, good, bad, mad, or God, or uh, why does God allow suffering? Uh, all those questions, the sort of classic apologetics questions, have been the entry points mm -hmm. to uh, evangelistic conversations with young people um, mm -hmm. for generations. And, you know, you think about people like Josh McDowell, um, but even later, you know, people um, like that, the journalist guy, the um, Lee Strobel, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they've, t they've still taken this kind of apologetics approach to evangelism and to uh, inducing curiosity in young people. And this research may suggest that the world has changed because, because when I was 14, that did pique my interest. Now I know, and we'll talk about this a number of times over the coming weeks, I am 40 in March, uh, but, uh, but, but 25 years ago, uh, that absolutely was enough to get me and a number of other people uh, interested. And that therefore has been our approach in youth ministry uh, over the last 25 years and before it. So, so this could have, could it not, quite significant implications on how we approach evangelism. Yeah, I think it could. And I think um, what's interesting about this piece for me is that it does seem to correlate with other big pieces of research that have happened. So, um, for example, Soul Searching, which was a big piece by Smith and Denton in 2005, uh, in the States, so it was a different context, but that was a huge study that they did um, as part of the National Study of Youth and Religion in America. Um, and many of the findings um, correspond to what we found in terms of a similar approach, you know, the importance of family, um, the, the fact that there was sort of belief among the young people that we talked to. So all of the young people believed in something, but they didn't necessarily have articulate propositional belief statements about what they believed or in a particular God. It was sort of a gen general understanding of a kind of overall supernatural being. Mm. Um, we also found really interestingly that the majority of the young people that we spoke to had prayed and mm. did pray as mm. part of their lives. Yeah. Um, so 14 out of the 16, whether they were religious or not, whether they believed or not, they did pray. Um, so I think there is definitely something going on in these young people's lives there is this kind of instinctual response to difficult times particularly the death of a loved one that was mm, a moment when yeah. lots of the young people we spoke to did pray um so there's something going on they're engaging with faith in some way mm. but it is on a practical not a theoretical level mm. so that i think might be the shift that's happened um so instead of these big cognitive abstract questions you know is god man or woman or is you know these, these sort of untouchable big picture questions these young people are engaging and actually practicing some mm. elements of residual faith but just not necessarily in a way that corresponds to a sort of cognitive a world yeah view. and a formulaic then there's mm. a question here's an answer because i would say that i've been a youth worker for about 20 years and absolutely youth culture and, and the world has changed we're working with kids now that they're big life experiences or twin towers and that was when they were tiny yeah. and you know more recently uh, different things but i think the question does this work does this move me 
that that is huge isn't it and I think again I work with those that come along on a Sunday morning absolutely I can't spike their interest in most things unless I say we're going to read like a a certificate 18 part of the bible now they're like whoa we're all over that but it is does this work does this Mm -hmm. does this feel like it's real does this do anything I mean do you does does that come out of the research just that guttural instinct of something out there that will change me or yeah yeah I think it could be and I, I it's um you know that goes beyond what we what we found but it's it's I think there is a sense in which in an information heavy world where all belief systems and everything is presented yeah. at all times because of the internet and the digital space that young yeah. people live in you know if something hasn't entered into my imminent frame so if I, if something hasn't come to me yeah my friends my family my life then how do i know if it's true because if it's not true for me, then it's not true. And I, I think we can put a negative spin on that in terms of the individualism of our culture and say, oh, young people just, you know, what's true Entitled, for me is true for me, yeah, and what's yeah, true for you is true yeah. for you. But actually, I think there is a sense of, you know, something has to become true yes. for a young person in the sense of it has to arrive in their lives yes. and take root in a way. Yes. And, you know, you can see that negatively, but we can also see that positively as actually how do we help young people to find this truth for themselves? Mm. You know, how do we actually allow it to land in their lives? And, and, do, and do you feel, resonate? Phoebe, because you are, you are also a youth worker, aren't you? You've mm. volunteered youth worker for years. This is not just theory for you. This is living as mm. well. So looking at this and being so closely involved with this and loving young people, which I know you do, do, do you come away from this saying, we, we have got to provoke curiosity. Like, our job is to, like stir stuff up like get the spoon and swirl it all around and almost encourage young people to be exposed to those situations they go well what is this then I mean what that that would be me but then I'm 41 and I I ask big questions all the time I always have what what was your reaction to that well I think that I think that is one of the things we need to do and I, I guess we identified um five main reasons in the research why young people weren't questioning and that is a kind of helpful starting point for sort of what we then can do if we want to spark questioning and I guess the first of those was that perhaps because of our context here in Luton questioning is seen as something disrespectful Mm. so it's actually seen as something that is a challenge to another person and therefore something that would provoke some maybe religious conflict and I think that might be because of the heightened um, history here in Luton that we have a history of religiously motivated violence so there is a sort of sense in which the young people are just thinking actually I'm just not going to ruffle any feathers I'm just not going to ask any questions I'm going to keep myself to myself and then I'm not going to cause offence so there is there's something there about how do we create safe spaces where young people know that it's okay to ask questions and that it's not seen as something offensive or that's going to um, provoke any kind of violent reaction or you know anything yeah, else and it's like not that. framed as hate speech is it yeah, to exactly. reframe mm. some of these ideas yeah yeah so that was kind of number one um, the second one was was kind of most was connected to that which is this idea that we're all the same and this idea that everyone needs to be the same we all need to be hyper tolerant because we're all the same yeah. and and that actually flattens all kinds of difference and diversity and all the things we which we, we long would, for actually. we long for and we want to the celebrate uniqueness. you know yeah, yeah exactly mm. the kind of di- the differences between faiths you know it's mm. good to celebrate those things mm. but young people don't want to be seen as different so they they kind of quash their own difference which then may not provoke questions in their friends lives mm. perhaps 
So that was another thing. Mm. Um, and then, you know, others just quickly, um, the idea that beliefs are personal so that, you know, it's not something we talk about publicly, mm-hmm. basically. Um, religion is practical. We talked about that one. And then finally, religion is not a big concern. Mm. So if it's not high up on the radar of your lives, mm. for whatever reasons, then actually, why would you feel passionately questioning about it? Mm. Um, so our kind of, I guess our practical takeaways were that we do need to create safe spaces for conversations around belief and religion. Mm. And within those safe spaces, provoking curiosity, starting conversations, starting mm. questioning, you know, encouraging questioning, basically. Um, Second one was offering practical faith experiences to young people, so spaces where they can explore prayer, for, mm-hmm. you know, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, thirdly, encouraging religious young people to be different and bold, so actually giving people permission to, to actually be different yeah. and say it's okay to be different, yeah. and yeah. it's good to be different, it's good to be confident in who you are and who God's made you to be. Yeah. Um, and then finally, starting with prayer, death, and afterlife as yeah. the kind of inroads to questioning because yes. that's where young people are already engaged mm. so Prayer, starting there death and afterlife yeah. absolutely mm. i suppose it's it's just so interesting isn't it hearing all of this i mean all of us listening to this are going to be hearing this knowing that the current national conversation that might not affect our young people yet but will do in a few mm. years is around the no platforming at universities just kind of what's happening on a national scale then we have donald trump just tweets his stuff and, and it's just really interesting how we're in such a conflicted age, aren't we? Because mm. never before have we had leaders have so much power on the basis of their one or two key ideas that everyone mm. knows about. So we've never before had people actually saying, this is true, everyone needs to believe, this is the way forward. Mm. But also we have a generation rising up who actually, I think, how gentle and credible they're saying, I don't want what I believe mm. to hurt you or damage mm. you. Now that as that can create passivity, but actually mm. as something in itself that you can see why that's grown up mm. in reaction against the mm. Trumps this was. It's interesting, isn't it, how we how we respond to this initially will affect what we then do, won't it? If we're just mm. like, oh that's typical kids today mm. then actually we end up with more negativity. Whereas if we say, let's engage with this really constructively and mm. help our young people feel safe to ask the, the big questions of wonder, wonder mm. and awe. Now, some of these uh, thoughts are captured in the uh, report, which is released today. It is. No questions get asked. Get hold of it, yeah. And you can get hold of it on <coughs> our website. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so what's the address? So it's youthscape.co.uk forward slash research forward slash publications. If you find the Youthscape website, then go to the research tab and it'll be there. You should be able to sort of find your way there eventually on our state-of-the-art, <laughs> cutting-edge website. Oh my goodness. It keeps us humble. Um, just the sort of final question I, I wanted to ask around this. Um, oh, actually, I have two. You know when people do that? I've got going. two more. This is fascinating. Well, one, one is yeah. just that thing about um, how much can you apply this out and extrapolate mm-hmm. 16 young people uh, in Luton to the national and perhaps even international um, picture. So let's, mm-hmm. do, let's, do, let's do that one first. Sure. Well, I think we can't generalise, so we can't say all young people um, feel this way or all young people, this will be their experience or all young people pray because these 16 young people prayed. Um, But we can say this is a highly context-specific sample of young people which may show relevance for other contexts. And Mm -hmm. I think tying it into other studies, which is what I've I've tried to do Mm -hmm. in in the report, does increase the validity because then you see actually these themes that we've identified have also been identified in other pieces of research so equally small scale pieces but they all 
create a sort of fabric or a, um, a tapestry that mm. then gives a bigger picture. Mm. And then the other question really is, is just, and, and this is for you as well, Rach, um, there is a there is this thread in the interviews that I've I've read um, that young people are sort of motivated to think about these things in moments of personal crisis. So the the times when they may be interested about these uh, bigger questions is when they're forced to consider their own mortality, perhaps because something bad has happened to them, or more likely something bad has happened to um, a member of their family or a close friend. Um, obviously, we don't want to manufacture those those situations of crisis for young people. Uh, but uh, but it does seem to me in in the world of 2018 with a sort of growing sense of uncertainty around gosh you know North Korea and Donald Trump mm. you know pointing mm. pointing verbal missiles at each other and, mm. and worrying that something else might follow behind you know and it, mm. you know a, a couple of weeks ago this uh, the, there was actually a missile alert wasn't there in mm. Hawaii where they thought something had actually begun and that, and that's in our news yeah. every day and I, I was preaching at, at Christmas and um, I did uh, a jolly you know thing on the Christmas Eve service about this uh, and I, oh. I was talking about sort of the fact that the angels always in, in the nativity story all the angelic kind of voices say don't be afraid over and over again yeah. and uh, and what was interesting was how much that resonated with people mm. and particularly with teenagers mm. and I just wonder whether um, uh, you know, we are moving into this era mm, now. You know, th this is absolutely valid, this research, mm. but I wonder whether also there's this sense that these moments of feeling a sense of looming crisis, um, I can't even believe I'm going to say this, you know, might actually be helpful mm. to the, the, the mission uh, and the evangelistic mission of, of youth ministry um, because actually young people don't feel quite so safe and settled and like they don't need to worry about any of this. Mm. What do you think? I, well, I think I think you're spot on actually, and I think that one of the things that Jace, my husband, does um, as a kind of an evangelistic tool, which is a phrase you don't really use very often, is it? But he just sort of um, says to young people, imagine that you wake up and you're on a tent, you're in a tent, and you unzip the tent, and you're suddenly, and he creates a landscape like you're in North Korea or you're yeah. <laughs> upside of a mountain, and and what what would you ask? And can spend quite a long time waiting for them to ask the question. What would you ask? Like you open, you unzip, and you've arrived, <laughs> and they and they and eventually the question is that like where where am I and how did I get here? Mm. And it's really interesting because it's it's an environment of fear. Mm. It's like you suddenly find yourself far away. Nothing that you know mm. to be real is real anymore. And and I think the reason why that question works is that because. For the young people we work with, they know that feeling of suddenly life has not turned out how they thought it would be. That feeling that I don't think my generation really felt. I don't think we hit 16 or 20 and went, oh my goodness, they have actually been lying to us. Like, the world is about to explode. There are no jobs. Like, we're never going to own our own home. I mean, mm. that kind of cold reality, mm. our young people have to face that. And they are so super clever. They'll find a way of facing that or dealing with the pain of that and they'll do all sorts of things to kind of mitigate against that and distract themselves. But actually, if we could be people that stand there with them and say, actually, you need to ask these questions. Yeah. How did I get here? What am I going to do with this? Then suddenly, you're right, that, that opportunity mm. becomes, let's, let's explore life in its fullness. And it's not a neat little kind of packaged, a new way to do the evangelism <laughs> conversation, but actually suddenly, our role as youth workers is less about kind of, just sitting in a little group and discussing this thing it's actually standing in life mm. with them isn't it mm. facing what's coming That's, yeah. it's massive I think yeah it's massive I think I mean I have to say that I am one of those people that when, it, when the question is um, when the, the title is no questions asked I'm a bit like wait a minute my young people do ask questions 
is research is a load of rubbish. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important for us, isn't it, as we engage with this, that we do what you've said. This mm-hmm. is not all young people. Mm-hmm. And if our young people are asking questions, brilliant! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but actually, there's some really important stuff in here that is a trend, and we've mm-hmm. got to engage with this. Yeah. So and, I, I do, yeah. and I do think there are, you know, I think what, there are clearly young people, pockets of young people who are asking questions. Mm. And I think particularly within religious contexts, you know, I think it, it's when there's dissonance in a young person's life. So when there's um, their practical experiences versus what they imagine to be true or they believe to be true, and those things don't match up, that creates questions. And so within a religious context, they're growing up in church or whatever, they might have experienced something, but then they might have these big sort of theoretical questions and then might be questioning. Oh, yes. Mm. But I think when you're just living your life and you don't have that gulf between what you sort of believe to be true and what you practice and then the sort of distance between that or dissonance, then there might not be questioning. So I think that definitely, you know, the Reboot Conference is huge mm, every year. Yes, and I think there are so many Christian young people up and down the country who have big questions because they're trying to wrestle with what their faith means for life and, all, and vice and versa. And one of the most popular seminars still at Solves Five in the summer is the life and death one, isn't it? I think... Mm. Isn't that the one that is yeah. most packed yeah. out? That and the sex one, I think. Yeah. yeah, massive. So, Phoebe, just once again, the research is out today. You can get it for free mm-hmm. on the Youthscape website. What is the address? It is www.youthscape.co.uk forward slash research. Perfect. So go and grab yourself a copy of No Questions Asked. Uh, tying in brilliantly with the title of that report, <laughs> we are now going to have some questions. Yeah, and actually, I don't know if you know this, Martin, but actually, producer Rachel has produced a quiz that, that we're going to do for YouTube because there's something that Martin and Phoebe share, both having been editors of a very salubrious magazine. You also are both pretty, like, amazing on your friends' general knowledge. Is that right? We do love friends. Do yeah. you? Do you yeah. watch it together? No, we've never no. watched an episode of it together. No, but we are often... Uh, watching the series yeah, concurrently but in our separate homes we, we've both watched the whole thing through as the next set of answers no. will probably not reveal <laughs> uh, within the last year and a half yeah I just and, but, but i must yeah. have watched it all through five or six times oh okay i have not okay. i fear that mark may well i probably i probably okay. both, I've, I've overpromised there. just <laughs> watch me <laughs> under deliver <laughs> They both sat forward in their chair and I'm really um, I've got some questions. So excited here. about the Friends quiz. So, and, and, and can I just say, yeah. just to tie it all beautifully oh, together, yes. when I was sick last week in, in Chris Curtis's uh, uh, study, yes. the, um, the, the, the only thing that got me through the day was I just, because oh. it's just, just come on Netflix, yes, it hasn't has. it? So yes. I just put it on in the corner of a room and just listened to it. It was like oh. comfort food. It, it was like a massive bowl of mashed potatoes. comfort food. <laughs> Oh. Brilliant. Are we ready? So basically, ready. how this is going to happen is I've got, I'm not even going to give you multiple choice because you're both no, like avid fans. Yeah. Um, Rachel is going to, producer Rachel is going to keep score, but I'm going to tell you the answers as we go along after okay. you've both given your choice. Okay. But let's keep this moving, people. Okay, let's, uh, let's keep going. So is it the first answer? Yes, or? I think the first answer. Yeah, so it's I a think speed race as well. Okay. Speed thanks for Thanks for getting the extra rule oh, in there. Here we go. Let's... Um, here we go. What is Ross's middle name? <laughs> oh, it's a triumph. Right, multiple choice. Muriel, Edward, Eustace, Muriel. Nagy, Geller. You think Muriel? What do you think? Edward. No, it's Eustace. Oh, you should get that right. No. I bet Vicky would get that right. I have never heard that. Stop trying to sneak in people's names. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Which name did Ross not suggest when he and Rachel were thinking of names for their child? So I'm going to give you multiple choice. Rain, Thatcher, Ruth and Darwin. What did he not suggest? 
Darwin. Rain. Rain is the correct oh. answer. Where does Phoebe's birth mom live? Oh, on oh. the beach. Yeah, she does. She lives in in <laughs> Miami Beach. Mayhem. Right, Pennsylvania, Texas, Monotuk, Alabama, Manhattan. Oh. Pennsylvania. Monotuk. Yes, I didn't even pronounce it right. No Monty. way. Is that great? Yeah. Oh, you're the oh, Phoebe. Oh, oh, no. really well that was a guess, but great. <gasps> what is Rachel? In, is, uh, what's Rachel's favourite movie? Oh, Wicked at Bernie's. Yes, oh, well done, Martin. That was too quick. Well done. Congratulations. You're all winners. No resilience. How many more seasons of Friends would there have been if Phoebe and Joey had gotten together? Oh, huh? How many more seasons Ooh. of Friends would there have been if Phoebe and Joey had gotten together? No more. Three, five, two, eight. How strange. Three. You think it's three? Five. Yes, five is right. Oh, that was a shot in the dark. I don't even understand the question. <laughs> As in they'd actually got together in the series. Yes, had they got together, oh. there would have been five more seasons. I think they wanted to carry on, didn't they? Joey wanted oh. to carry on. They wanted to do yeah. a Joey and Phoebe spin-off. Kind of well, Joey, spin-off. there was a Joey spin-off. And it wasn't yeah, it wasn't oh, right. Interesting. Right. Who said this? Ah, oh, Chandler, I sensed it was you. Was that Rachel, Joey, Phoebe, Ross or Monica? Ross. Oh, Ross. Oh. Yes, Ross. I think Chandler. I sense when he's doing his unagi. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, my goodness. Where was Ross and Rachel's first date? Oh, I, it was at the Natural History Museum. Um, no, it wasn't. Not compared to, not going to this. Um, oh, I to dig your It was the movie theatre. Oh. Right, okay, last three questions. What is Phoebe's middle name? Doesn't have one. Yersela, Bethel, Consuela, Regina. Doesn't have one. Doesn't have one. Yeah. one. It's the correct answer. Who? Oh my goodness. This is a good one. Who is the first character to talk on Friends? Monica. Monica. I knew that one. <laughs> what is Janice's full name? My goodness, you should get what? Like, so much prize for this. Oh, it's double barrels, isn't yeah. it? Something uh, ridiculous. I have no idea. If you mention any of the names, you can get a point. Oh, or even make, make the noise that sounds like the names, because they're like... Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's Janice Lippmann, Gerolunik, Nishostein. Wow. Oh, wow. Can you do it, Janice? I mean, not on the podcast. Oh. <laughs> you can't do it, can you? Can't. Not allowed. No. Yeah. So, at the end of that, who... Uh, Oh my goodness, it is head to head. Our guest, Phoebe, got three. Oh, Martin, you got four. Oh, oh, I can't believe it. Oh, I can't believe it. That was, but well, that was only on questions where we both knew the answer. Yeah. And can I just say as well, producer Rachel decided to write it, aka Phoebe style, incredibly small. Hence me going, well done. I feel like it's a, it's a bit pathetic, well. isn't it, being a, a big Friends fan, but. Well. You know, it's not high culture, is it? In these moments, it yeah, helps. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, all those hours that we put in training. But if, but if you shift. say, like, you're a massive fan of Breaking Bad, like, eyebrows raised, you know, yeah. I think saying you're a massive fan of Friends, in the, the day it came out, we were all concerned about the promiscuity. You know what, though? Yeah, if you watch Friends back that. now, and, and we do, yeah. um, first of all, it's incredibly politically correct. Uh, incorrect, sorry. Incorrect. 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 Okay. So, um, you know, there's, in- I mean, some of the, the jokes maybe. around. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no. But, but they're, they're, I spotted so many jokes around things like transgender. Oh, which, never, which at the never, time were yeah. just, you know, you could, you made those jokes on television. Yeah. Um, but, but now you wouldn't dream of doing so. And also, the other thing is, 
almost every single kind of possible rude thing you could talk about is discussed on Friends, just in a very subtle way. They, they do pretty much everything mm. that you could imagine, that like, you would imagine is beyond the pale, in this nice, innocent mm. thing in Friends, including, there is a, I don't know if you know this, there is a scene in Friends where, without ever mentioning it, um, Monica and Phoebe are playing with a Ouija board. Oh yes, mm. that and it's just yes. happening, and it's they put it away, and nobody yeah. ever says anything about it. It's very interesting, isn't it? It's, actually, it's, it's quite so subtle, subtlety. Mm. We are, I mean, fingers on the pulse. <laughs> we are talking about the absolute cuttiest, but I'm not finished because <laughs> oh, it's just come out on wow. it's just come out on Netflix. Yeah. And what's amazing was the thread on Twitter. There was a Twitter moment that they created about teenagers finding oh, friends finding for friends. the first time, oh. and they were like watching Friends for the first time. What are these haircuts? Yeah. <laughs> what are these clothes? You know, I what are these things? I had a Rachel you know? haircut. And, I and like Joey, Joey is a total pig. How is yeah. how do people love this character? Yeah. And so on. So it was fun. Anyway, I'm done with friends. Excellent. For today, so, we have covered everything, haven't we? But in the middle of that, Phoebe, you just brought some phenomenal stuff to get us thinking. So thank you oh, so much. Thank you for having me. It was really cool. So, um, lovely friends. I just. I, I'm not going to do any more benedictions because I will start talking about like your immune system and all that kind of stuff. But actually, I think one takeaway is just thinking like that like mindfulness is about being being aware of the moment and soulfulness is about the awe and the wonder of the moment. So actually, like ramping up the awe and wonder and the stuff that we do, creating spaces for young people to ask big questions safely and richly. Beautiful. It's all about Brilliant. snowdrops, isn't it? It's all about so snowdrops snow drops and are sunshine emerging. Yeah, yeah. and cowpole. Do you know what we haven't done is the, uh, the shout-outs. Oh my goodness. We've been getting some grief around these shout-outs. Yeah, so saying. it's a very agreed list. It's okay? a very agreed list. Hello to Ollie so Deeks. not on the list. Oh. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> Hello to Ollie Deeks. Hello, Ollie Deeks. Hello to uh, Dr. Len Kegler at Nyack College. Hello to uh, Aaliyah Pike. That is it. That is the end of the list. I just say, that is the, the end of the list. Of doing hellos, regular, yeah. The whole point of doing hellos is to be warm and soft. It's now got to the point of like <laughs> laying down. Hello, no Dr. K. Hello. I mean, they probably don't want to be said no like people. that, do they? Right now. We love you all. Uh, email us. Uh, yeah, at, you will uh, email us. Uh, email us now. These two, but <laughs> they're I, talking I have... right to this little tiny microphone as if it is all these people. Right. It is. Pointing at you, demanding. Email, email us, podcast at youthscape.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter uh, at youthscape. Uh, and you can also put, you can add to our growing fund of Patreon contributors at patreon.com slash youthscape. This has been Loose Women Talk Theology. Uh, we will be back next week with something else. Martin will not be back next week. We love you all. Snowdrops. It's all about snowdrops snow and, and sunshine yeah. and cowpole.